<laughs> Listen, if you're going to be about, you got to believe it all, amen. The gospel don't have bits and pieces to it. The gospel is the gospel. It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in order for somebody to die, they got to be alive. I'm glad this morning he was born in a stable <laughs> in a little town called Bethlehem in a way that man had never seen and never heard of before. In an impossible way in man's ability, but with God, nothing shall be impossible. <laughs> little Mary, the little virgin, conceived of the Holy Ghost, gave forth and birth to the very Son of God, lived perfectly, never said or did anything amiss, never sinned, never had the desire to sin. I'm thankful for that this morning because that's the kind of sacrifice that you and I needed this morning. Anything less than perfect would not have helped us. <laughs> but I'm glad the Savior died on the cross was a perfect Savior, dying perfectly. And thank God he rose again perfectly too, amen. Oh, I, I love the gospel. I ain't, got, I ain't got over it this morning. And I don't ever plan to, amen. But Luke chapter number six this morning, Luke chapter number six, and I want to preach on a certain thought. It's really found in verse number 11. But we'll read verses one through 11 this morning. Just hopefully it'll be a help to you. The Bible says, and it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfield and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. Now, this has nothing to do with my message this morning, but we was reading through this through a fam as a family. And I looked at my wife, I said, that verse ain't been in there the whole time. I've never, you know, we've read through it before. I said, I didn't read that last time we read through the book of Luke. But now, if you're gonna make a statement and say it's biblical, you better have a, a chapter and verse behind it. Now, I'm gonna step out on something this morning. Now, listen, the Bulldogs are probably going to play for a national championship. <laughs> but I firmly believe as of last week, the disciples were corn huskers. <laughs> we look at verse number one. Verse no, now listen, I, I've got my Nebraska contingency with me here this morning. Amen. <laughs> we'll fight all, all of y'all by ourselves. <laughs> they said, don't sign me up for nothing. <laughs> but look what it says in verse number one. And they went through the cornfields. And his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. Listen, I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of husking corn, but you rub it in between your hands. Get that silk out of it and you go and eat it. There it is right there. Listen, you might, Georgia might have national championship, but the, the disciples were corn huskers. The only problem, I can't throw the Lord in there because it didn't say the Lord was eating with them. <laughs> but at least the disciples, I mean, good company, Amen. Verse number two, and the certain the Pharisees said unto them, why do you that which is not lawful on, to do on the Sabbath days? And Jesus answering them said, have you not read much as this, what David did when himself was hungered and they which were with him? And he went to the house of God and did take and eat of the shoe bread and gave also to them that were with them, or with him, which is it not lawful to eat but for the priest alone? And he said unto them, that the son of man is the Lord also of the Sabbath. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught and there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day that he might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said unto the man which is in the, uh, with the withered hand, rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then Jesus said unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? And looking round about them all, he said unto the man, stretch forth 
thy hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored whole as the other. Look at verse number 11. They were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. Let's pray to Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you again for this morning. We're thankful, Lord, for the first time you came. Came to be our sacrifice. Came to die in our place. Pay a debt that we owed. We're thankful, Lord, this morning because of that. We can come here this morning and worship you. We can praise you. Lord, because we've received that free gift. We know what it's like to go from death into life. We know what it's like to go from blindness to sight. We know what it's like to go from walking without purpose to walking with a purpose. We know what it's like to go to bed at night and have peace and joy and contentment in a world that's gone crazy. Oh, Father, would you help us this morning, God, to glean from the word of God. But I'm thankful for it. Lord, it's met every need that I've ever had. It's answered every question that's come into my life. And I pray, Lord, this morning you'd let it do that again this morning. Let it speak directly to our hearts, challenge us and change us. Convict us and help us and encourage us and strengthen us. Pray, Lord, this morning there's here that someone here that doesn't know you as a personal Lord and Savior. Lord, they don't have that relationship with you. God, that you've made available to them. We pray, Lord, this morning you'd work in their hearts and draw them unto yourself. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we'll give you all the glory and all the praise. Thank you, Lord, for what you've already done in the song service. Lord, we thank you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I was, we read through these verses, and I seen the cornhusker thing, and I thought that was a blessing. But at the same time, I was reading that, and I, I was going to preach a sermon. I, I've got a title, that's all I've got. Uh, for this sermon I was going to preach, and I was going to preach on this thought. You better be careful what you say in the field because the corn has ears. But that's all I got on that sermon. (laughs) But this morning, we're going to see here twice now in Luke chapter number six, we're 11 verses in, and twice now the, the Pharisees have come. In essence, they have complained to the Lord or they've had a heart of complaining. They've had a heart of uh, judgmental uh, righteousness that they have tried to cast upon the Lord and his disciples. And we see here in verse number 11 that there's something done in the midst of the scribes and the Pharisees, in the midst of Jesus and his disciples, in the midst of this man with the withered hand, there is something that is done that drives these Pharisees mad. And this morning, here's the thought I want to preach on. How to make a Pharisee mad. How to make a Pharisee mad. Well, who are the Pharisees? Where did they come from? Well, history tells us that sometime after the last exile of Israel, that there came this this group of people. They were religious Jews, and they held to the Old Testament books, and they believed the law, and they tried to follow the law, and they tried to let the law dictate how they live and no doubt that was a noble effort and a thing but then they begin to add in man's oral traditions they begin to add in man's words it would sound like this today I know what the Bible says but if you really love the Lord what I say and they became to grow and to grow and they began to add these laws to the the law of God and these standards and all these different things and if you could boil all of that into one thing this morning to describe a Pharisee 
Pharisees measured spirituality not by that which was done on the inside, but that which was put forth on the outside. If you looked good and you talked right and you believed right and you said right, then you were a good spiritual person. They became fixated with the outward appearance and actions. Spirituality wasn't measured in one's heart yielded to God, but rather everything external. They had rituals. You go read the Gospels, you don't know that you could spot out a Pharisee, whether it's in a synagogue or a street corner because they prayed louder than everybody else, they prayed longer than everybody else, they used big words that nobody else understood and could even comprehend, and they didn't do it because that's who they were, they did that because they were trying to impress one another. They had their ritual, they had their reasoning. They even had the regalia. They were known by what they wore and what they didn't wear. They were known by what, what, they, what ordinated their bodies. They had those, uh, I can't remember, the phylacteries, was, I think is what they called them, little boxes that would bind around their, their heads and around their arms that contained scrolls of the word of God. And they thought, well, if I have it here and I have it there, then I must be a spiritual person. But it really was is what it produced in them was a, a, a religious pride, a religious pride that caused them and, 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 and made them want to control everything around them and everybody around them. In essence, they became something uh, that the people looked up to and became something that the people in fear uh, listened to because they didn't want to make them mad. And oftentimes this morning, I don't think there's any actual Pharisees in the sense walking around that were walking around in Jesus' day, but in our day and age, there are still such things as Pharisees. Those who hold certain standards and hold certain things above people's heads in a sense of controlling this morning. I'm glad where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty this morning. I'm glad this morning I can rest solely on the word of God this morning. It can help me. It can, it can help me go through my life. It can help me raise my family. It can help me be the best preacher I can be this morning. And I, all I really need this morning is the word of God. But oftentimes... There's something in me or maybe something in you that I got to deal with the Pharisees. And if we're not careful in dealing with the Pharisee, we'll become a Pharisee ourselves. See, sometimes we think if I'm gonna deal with a Pharisee and I'm, and I'm gonna straighten them out and I'm gonna correct them and put them in their place, well, then I gotta learn how to out-debate them. I gotta become smarter than them in the scriptures. I need to show them that I know more than they do. Let me figure out how to trap them let me figure out how to corner them with the word of God. Let me figure out how to make myself seem smarter than they are. Well, that's a tactic of the Pharisee. Look at verse number seven. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day that they might find an accusation against him. They were saying, oh, we're fixing to get him in a corner. We're gonna back him up into a place he can't talk himself out of. We'll show him, we'll out-debate him, we'll out-strategize him and he'll see that we're better than he is. Boy, you gotta be a real smart person to try to take on God and try to outsmart the Lord who knows everything. <laughs> Not just about you, but about everybody. But sometimes we'll try to out-debate them and in turn, we'll become a Pharisee ourselves. Instead of what we've been called to do to preach the gospel and to share the gospel and to spread the love of Christ and to show people there is a better way to live and there's, there's great liberty and great freedom in Christ, we'll become concerned with trying to correct everybody else. Straighten everybody else out and in turn becoming a Pharisee ourselves. You, do not, you don't defeat Pharisee, Phariseeism by becoming a Pharisee. Sometimes we, need, we feel like we need to out-debate them. And if we can't out-debate them, we'll outstandard them. Look at verse number two. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do ye that which is not lawful to do 
on the Sabbath day. How dare you let your disciples walk through the cornfields on the Sabbath and get something to eat? What is wrong with you? See, standards, though, are a wonderful thing in the right place. But how do you know your standards are going too far when they rob you of your compassion and concern for others? When was the last time, think about it this way, when was the last time you walked through a cornfield, plucked an ear right off the stalk and bit into it? Can I say, as much as I love corn, as much as I've spent time in Nebraska, there's never been a time in my life where I've walked to a corn stalk, ripped that bad boy off, peeled it back, pulled the silk off, and just bit right into it. Can I say one of the best ways and the only way that I'm going to eat corn is once it's cooked? (laughs) Boil it, put some butter and salt and pepper on it, let me go to town. But here's Jesus' disciples are walking through. You can tell they're hungry because they're pulling it right off the stalk and eating it. The Pharisees are standing back there saying, how dare they do that? They ought to have stood back there and said, my goodness, they gotta be in a rough spot if they're just sitting there eating the corn off the stock. And if we're not careful in order to become a Pharisee or defeat a Pharisee, we'll try to outstand them and we'll lose our compassion ourselves. You don't make a Pharisee mad by being a bigger and badder Pharisee. How do, how do you make a Pharisee mad, preacher? You just do what the Lord did here in Luke chapter number six. Three simple things this morning on how to make a Pharisee mad. I believe every Christian can make the Pharisees mad in their life by following the same commands this man did in Luke chapter number six. You see, here's the thing. I'm not saying you're going to go out and pick fights with everybody, but I'd rather make a Pharisee mad and obey God than to please a Pharisee and disobey God. What did this man do and what did Jesus do that made these Pharisees so mad? Notice number one, Jesus told them to rise up. Jesus told him to rise up in verse number eight. He he said, but he knew their thoughts and said to the man, which which, with a withered hand, they are in the synagogue on the Sabbath. It's it's another Sabbath and Jesus is in the midst of them teaching them and he's talking to them and all that kind of stuff. And here's this man with the withered hand and some scholars believe that the Pharisees themselves placed this man in the synagogue just to see what Jesus would do. Could you imagine bringing somebody in who's, who obviously has a handicap, who's obviously struggling with, with just the normal things of life and he's got this issue and he's got this problem and you go to find him and you don't care anything about him getting help. You don't care anything about him getting something resolved or fixed. You just want to bring him in because you're trying to catch Jesus. And here Jesus walks in and he tells this man to rise up. Now in sports, there's this thing called home field advantage. It is that the familiarity and the fans are, a, are a, uh, uh, an encouragement and some kind of advantage to the team that plays at home. But sometimes, even with all that advantage, all that home field advantage, that visiting team can come in and silence the whole crowd. And to be honest with you this morning, the synagogue at this time, this was the Pharisees' home field advantage. We know Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews and you read another portion of the scripture that there were Pharisees who were called the rulers of the synagogue. In essence, they were the leaders there. They walked in, people were quiet and people listened to what the Pharisees had to say. They had that religious outward appearance that demanded attention. But now we see here, even though they're in their home turf and on their home field, none of them are teaching. Jesus has walked in there 
and he's begun to teach on the Sabbath day. Whether they realize it or not, that day, on that Sabbath day, the greatest teacher to ever live was expounding, expounding upon the scriptures right there before them. But we see here this morning that there was one in the midst of all, look, verse number seven, you got to read this and see this. Or excuse me, verse number seven, it came to pass on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. Look at verse number seven, the scribes and the Pharisees, they weren't listening, they watched him. Somebody's teaching, you need to listen. They were watching him. They were waiting for him to do something. They were waiting for him to mess up. They're waiting for him to, to break the Sabbath, which Jesus dealt with it already in the previous portions of the scripture. He said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I made the Sabbath. I can do what I want to do on the Sabbath because I made the Sabbath. And we see here this, this morning that he, he goes in and he begins to teach and there was the Pharisees listening, but thanks be to God, there was one man in there listening. In order, how do we see his listening? Well, notice here this morning when he was told to rise, he rose. He got up when Jesus told him to get up. He was listening. But here's the thing. In the middle of this listening, we see there had to be an honest assessment. Because we see here in verse uh, number eight this morning, he said he knew their thoughts and he said to the man with the withered hand, in essence, he, he knew who he was talking to. He knew who this man was. There was this man in here whose right hand was withered. And Jesus looked at him and he told him to rise up. And in that, in that time, that frame, that man had to come to an honest assessment that Jesus is talking to me. He is dealing with me. He is, he is speaking directly to me. In order for him to do that, he knew he had to realize he had a problem. He had an issue that nobody else could fix. And what he else knew the solution for? He knew he had a problem, but so did the Lord. How many glad this morning when you got saved by the grace of God and you went to God and you said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. I've messed up. I've transgressed the law of God. I've done this and I've done that. I failed here and I've messed up there. I've got mistakes here. And everything you confessed to God, God already knew. None of that took God by surprise. And yet, even with all of that confession, even with all of that assessment by this man, God still loved him. I'm glad this morning that God still loves us. There was an honest assessment, but then there was a realized power. I don't think this man had ever been called on before. I don't think this man had ever stood up in the synagogue and spoke because we know not only the Pharisees think themselves better, they judged those who were not like them. And they judged those who had these apparent uh, handicaps, had these apparent issues. There's another account in the Gospels where the Pharisees bring before them a blind man and they're not concerned about helping the man. They're not concerned about getting his sight back, but rather they're trying to figure out who caused the sin for this man to be blind. In essence, they're standing back and say, I can judge you because I'm not blind myself. There is no sin that caused me to be blind. But we see here this morning, this man probably never stood up before. He probably never been called on before. If he had been called on before, it probably wasn't good. You know why your hand's like that? You know why your hand's withered like that? You know why you got that problem? Because there's probably sin in your life somewhere. But Jesus straightened him out. <laughs> Even with the blind man, he said, this man wasn't born blind because of sin. He was born blind that you might see the glory of God and the power of God demonstrated before you. And I'm glad this morning, even all that's going on in my life, all my failures this morning, uh, and here's the thing, we can argue about this sin and that sin this morning. I'm glad that the Lord is able to save me from all of those. Here's the thing. 
arguing about whose sin it had caused the man's blindness. They were arguing about it. Here's the thing. Religion always points out sin, but never poses a real salvation or a real solution. They'll tell you everything that's wrong with you and then just leave you right there. Once heard a preacher say that you don't have to tell a dog its legs broke, he already knows. The same thing is true in our life. There's an honest assessment. There was realized power. He realized that this man wasn't like these Pharisees. This man had given him a command to rise up, to stand up, to get up from where he was, to not stay where he was. How many glad that are you glad that you know where Jesus found you? But he didn't leave you there. Amen. He called you to rise up. There was an honest assessment. There was a realized power, but then there was an elevated position. Verse number eight. The Bible said he arose, and he arose and stood forth, and he arose. What a sight! Here is a room full of the elite. Here is a room full of the, the, the highly educated Pharisees, the highly elite Pharisees, the highly religious people. And here is who they called a lowly Galilean. Is this not the son of Joseph the carpenter? Who is this man? Well, he was the very son of God. But we also know that he came humbly and he came in humility. And so here is the Lord who nobody is, has, has fully comprehended who he is. And here's a man with a withered hand standing above everybody else. All those who had all their religious things together and all their religious rules and regulations were no longer the sole focus. But rather here is everybody, that whether they realize then or not, everybody's now attention is focused on a savior helping a sinner. A savior caring and, and, and being compassionate towards a sinner. Can I say this one? That's what I want the focus to be here. I don't ever want to get to a place where our standards are what we're proud of and our standards are what everybody knows about us and our standards are what uh, all we care about, all we talk about, all we preach about. Can I say this morning? There's something greater than my standard this morning. There's something greater than what I, what I do and what I don't do. The greatest thing you and I can do is to watch a Savior help some sinners in here, amen? And the same thing is true in our life this morning. Notice there was an elevated position. There was a realized power. There was an honest assessment. Aren't you glad for the day the Lord told you to rise up? Everybody else has given up on you. Your religious Pharisees in your life today ain't no hope for him. That's old withered hand so-and-so. Ain't no we can do for him. He's probably, probably got a lot of hidden sin in his life. We're just going to let him be. And Jesus said, hey, get up. Get up. You don't have to stay there. Just come to where I am. Stand where I am. He told him to rise up. Notice number two this morning. He told him to stand forth. He told him to stand forth. Verse number eight. He said, arise and stand forth in the midst. Told him to come right into the middle of it. Now, if you've ever had to stand for inspection, had to have something of yours inspected, boy, that could be a nervous time, can't it? <laughs> Especially when you know you've got problems. You've got issues. If we can't fix the flaws, what do we do? We try to hide them. We know we can't solve it completely. We'll just try to hide it. I don't do that, preacher. Let me ask you. You don't have enough time to fold the clothes. You know company's coming over. What do you do? <laughs> Throw them bad boys on the bed, cover them up with a blanket. <laughs> Shut the door and say, hope company doesn't come in here. And you walk in and hey, this is your new house. You mind if you, I, you show me around? <laughs> I do. <laughs> but sure. And then you start apologizing. I'm sorry. I mean, I just, we was trying to get it done. Run, too many hours in the day, too much to get done. I'm sorry. Don't judge me. I love, I love when some of y'all invite me over and then you apologize for your house being dirty. I'm sitting there looking at it like, well, maybe the two pillows on the couch aren't at the same angle, but I don't see any dirt. 
I don't see anything wrong here. So I purpose in my heart that if you say that now, I'm going to start living up to it. I'm going to start responding back to it. Preacher, I'm, so, I'm sorry my house is dirty, preacher. Well, I mean, not all of us have to live in a style, but you can. I'm just picking with you this morning. But notice here this morning, if you've ever, ever had that happen, you know how, how nervous it can be. Yet the Lord tells this man to stand forth. With all of his problems, with all of his issues, with his, his, his withered hand, he tells him to come stand in front of everybody. He places him in a position of elevation, a place of prominence. Well, I can see those Pharisees. He can't even quote the first book of the Bible, and I can quote the first five. I had to do it to become a Pharisee. He don't have no phylacteries around his head. He don't even have the right robes on. I don't know when the last time he took a shot. Look at his beard. I can see him there. They're already judging him as he's brought to the center. He's brought to the middle. Here's the thing. This man never expected this place. He never, he never expected to be in the midst of everything of the synagogue. It was the position of the rulers and the teachers of the synagogue I can see, I ain't no teacher. I definitely ain't no ruler. I ain't no Pharisee. I'm just a man with a withered hand. And here's the thing this morning. Most of those men who were rulers of the synagogue got there by hard work and effort. They got there by doing what was told to them, what was commanded to them. They worked their way up the ladder. They, they were self-made men. They were self-taught men. And they stood there. When they stood before the synagogue, it was, look what I have done. I can see that man standing. I have no reason to know why I'm here. I have no idea why the Lord has placed me here. This man could probably step back and say, how did he get, the, how did he get in the center of the synagogue? He'd probably say, well, I think it's grace. <laughs> I think the Lord has something going on here that I don't completely understand, and I don't know why, but I'm just glad that he's called me to where I am this morning. Listen, this morning, I didn't get behind here because I'm smarter than you. I didn't get behind the pulpit this morning because I've got more of an education than anybody else. I'm simply here this morning, and I'm simply what I am today by the grace of God. And can I say this morning, I don't ever want to lose that thought this morning. I don't ever want to lose that truth that I am nothing without the grace of God, but with the grace of God, all things are possible this morning. I believe he never expected that place, but the Lord had placed him there. He probably felt exposed in that place. See, when he was back in the corner, hiding amongst everybody, he could hide his problems. He could hide his withered hand. He could hide his ailment. But now, but now he's in front of everybody. Everybody's eyes are on him and the Lord. And can I say this morning, there's a big difference between glorifying your sin and glorifying God because of what he did for your sin. This man's withered hand would actually become his testimony. Not because it was still withered, but because it was healed. And some of you this morning, all of us included this morning, we come from a life of sin. We come from a past of sin. And we could sit and talk and lie about how good of a time we had. We could make it sound like it was fun. We could, we could look back and laugh on and all those different kind of things this morning, but if we're going to sit back and be honest this morning, all of us in some form or fashion had a withered hand that if we could have had or we would have had, we'd just hide it from everybody. Well, how many of you got some things in your past? Boy, it hurts every time you're reminded about it. And it's brought to your attention, and it's, it's brought to you again, and boy, it takes you right back to the moment. But I'm glad this, I, there's times I have to step back and say, yes, that's what I said. Yes, that's what I did. And yes, that's how I acted. But April 3rd, 2015, the Lord saved me. And he changed my life. 
And I, listen, I, I'm thankful that he delivered me from where I was. Notice this, he probably felt exposed in that place. He never expected this place of prominence in the synagogue. But he also became an example in that place. See, great debates would often take place in the synagogues. Pharisees would come together and they would debate not just the scriptures, but then they would debate man's laws and man's uh, uh, oral history. They'd add all of that. They would almost become to a fight within the synagogue. Could you imagine coming to church? <laughs> Put one preacher here, one preacher there, and let's fight. Let's wrestle one another with the scriptures. And here's the thing. One of us might win, but everybody else loses. Everybody else loses this morning. I'm glad this morning God has not called me into the field of debate. He's called me in the field of preach the gospel, preach the truth. After much debate, I could see some walking out in confusion. And I said, what were they talking about in there? Well, why, why, they were just arguing back and forth. I don't know what they were arguing about. <laughs> you ever been there? <laughs> you ever been to a service of preaching? Done? What did he say? <laughs> I've been there. I've done it. <laughs> but notice this, after this man's example, what takes place in this man's life, what they see God change in the moment, they all walk out of there knowing exactly who has real power, who has real ability. <laughs> it ain't in them Pharisees arguing about their laws and their traditions. It was God changing a man's life as only God could do. He probably felt exposed in that place. Probably never expected to be there. But right there in the midst of all that, God gave him a testimony. God, let him be an example to the great power that the Lord has. Let me ask you this morning, what are you standing on? What are you standing He said, stand forth. Come out here and stand. And you'll stand here and I'll show these people what I can do for you. Let me ask you this morning, when people look at you, do they only see what you can do? Or can they see what the Lord has done in your life? He told them to rise up. He told them to stand forth. Notice number three this morning, he told them to stretch forth. I was looking at that word withered up, what it meant. And, uh, and I understand it was, the scientific understanding was that he had a hand that at some point had quit growing. It had quit uh, doing what the, it was supposed to do. But then I came across the definition that said that word withered means to lose juice. I thought that sounds awfully weird. Sir, what happened to your hand? Well, when I was eight years old, it lost juice. But here, here the Lord's telling him to stretch forth. Stretch forth his hand. He couldn't do it. Never in his life, ever since the problem had arisen, he could not stretch forth his hand. And here is God, the very Son of God, say, hey, do what you know to be impossible. Stretch forth your hand. <laughs> stretch, that's a word that I don't have a very good relationship with. We were driving down Highway 25 one time. There's a church down there. I don't know the name of it. <laughs> we were driving down the, down the road and they were outside running around the church. I thought, man, they're, they're having service. The Lord done met with them. They done busted out the doors. They're running down and around the church come to find out that they weren't worshiping. They were exercising. And I said, I will never. I will never go to that church because <laughs> I don't want to accidentally walk in on an exercise service. <laughs> But here, when Jesus said, hey, stretch forth your hand, he wasn't telling them to exercise physically. He was telling them to exercise faith. Either you're going to believe that I'm God or you won't. 
And can I say this morning, when we got saved by the grace of God, God was asking us to believe the impossible. He was asking us to believe something that none of us could do for ourselves. He was asking us to believe only something that God could do. I read a statistic the other day. I was reading a book, and it was talking about the, the prophecies that Christ fulfilled. This man said in his lifetime, Christ fulfilled 330 prophecies about himself in the Old Testament. I haven't counted it out myself, but I do believe this, Jesus fulfilled every one. And he said, well, I, I got to thinking, I said, I wonder statistically, what are the statistics on that happening? What are the odds on that happening? A man fulfilling 330 prophecies about himself completely and correctly. He said, this man began to study this out and tried to figure out the odds of it, and he couldn't make it all the way up to 330. He said, if Jesus would have came and just fulfilled eight, statistics, or eight, excuse me, eight prophecies about himself, he said it would have been the same as if we took something the size of Texas and we filled it two feet deep with silver, cord, or silver dollars. He said, and then you marked one of those silver dollars and you threw it in the midst and you mixed it all up and told somebody to go find that silver dollar. The same odds of that person finding that exact silver dollar would be the same odds of a man coming and fulfilling eight prophecies about himself. He said, if you move it up to 48, and Jesus come and just fulfilled 48 prophecies about himself correctly, he said he would have to take out the silver dollars and put in electrons, subatomic particles. We're talking not even millimeters big. And have to find the one that was marked. And yet the very God that we serve fulfilled every single one about himself perfectly. <laughs> I'm glad we got a God that can beat the odds, amen. <laughs> but here he told him to stretch forth. He told him, ask him to do that which was impossible. Asked him to activate the faith that was needed to believe. When Jesus told this man to stretch, he wasn't telling him to exercise, but to activate his faith, to trust the Lord. I, here's the thing, I don't just live by creeds and regulations. Uh, the, the, just, excuse me, the just don't live by creeds and regulations and standards. We, the just shall live by faith and faith in God and his word this morning. Faith is demonstrated in obedience. Verse number 10, look at verse number nine. It said, uh, and he rose and stood forth and Jesus said unto them, verse nine, I will ask one of you, one thing, is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? And looking around about them all, he said unto the man, stretch forth thy hand. <laughs> Those four words were an impossible task. Look at the next word, and he did so. <laughs> he did. How? God. How do you do the impossible? The Lord, amen. That's the only answer. What a testimony. He did so. And here's the thing, how, preacher, how did you get saved by the grace of God? How, how did you become a Christian? How did you do it? Did you join the church? Did you get baptized? Did you start tithing? Did you No, I just did what the Lord told me to do in the word of God. I trusted in the finished work of Christ, believed that he died for me, asked him to be my savior, and he did. Faith is a demonstrated in obedience. Faith is rewarded. And watch this, verse number 10, and his hand was restored. And his hand was restored whole as the other. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace are you saved through faith. That which was dead is now resurrected and alive this morning and restored. Not only was it demonstrated, not only was it rewarded, but verse number 11, how do you make a Pharisee mad? <laughs> Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 11, and they were filled with madness. Who? The Pharisees. And communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. 
They'd watch a miracle happen right in front of them. And they were mad about it. They were upset about what the Lord had done. And they figured out how to get rid of him. Preacher, how do we make a Pharisee mad? Obey the Lord. <laughs> Obey his word. And let his word override their word. And what they've said about it, you trust the Lord. You do what God has told you to do. And you obey the Lord this morning. And I guarantee you, you'll make a Pharisee mad. But you'll please the Lord. And the Lord will bless you for being obedient to him this morning. Are you going to live by faith? Or are you going to live in the fear of man this morning? How do you make a Pharisee mad? You just obey and do what God has told you to do this morning. Let's all stand this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed.